0: Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the Church today, and how the Gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the Church living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. God knows all about your troubles. God knows why you are crying and how long you have been crying. God knows what you are struggling with and where you are stuck. God knows why you continue to struggle with things God has already taken away from you. God also knows why you keep going back and picking them up. God knows what you tell yourself and why you believe this is the best point of view. God knows where you are, where you are going, and why you believe that you should be further along the path. God knows all the questions you have and why you still have no answers. God knows our challenges and God knows your potential. God knows all of the ins and outs of why you feel in or out of touch with God. God knows you. It's important for you to know that when it feels most like there is no one, it simply isn't true. There is always someone who is as concerned about your concerns as you are. God also knows that what you believe and put your faith in can make a world of difference in what you know and don't know. Therefore, to help you know this God who cares, we entered together into the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair of Hartford will help direct our faith in the right direction. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, where you can reintroduce us to the God who cares, really cares about our concerns. How are you?
1: Well, I'm doing pretty well so far, although all of us, of course, are live under the shadow of COVID, but I, I think we're, uh, we're plugging away as best we can.
0: And speaking about COVID, Archbishop, it's now been more than 300 days since that time back in March of last year when we locked down because of the coronavirus. Even for those who have not contracted the disease, the stress and the worry have taken a toll for sure. Have you any words of encouragement for our listeners about facing this problem? Advice for perhaps how to pray and what to ask of God in order to persevere?
1: Well, I would just say that the basics of our faith are uh, really, I won't say put to the test, but they're they come to the fore, maybe that's the best way to put it, when something like this happens. You know, today in our world, we are so uh, accustomed to uh, being in control of our environment, even though there are, we, that creates problems of its own, uh, being uh, so much in control of the environment.
0: Mm. But
1: um, I think, you know, uh, in this world, we are mortal creatures. We are prone to uh, illness and, and death. Uh, we are prone to... Uh, things that befall us through natural disasters and all. God gave us uh, intelligence to be able to combat these things, to protect ourselves, which we are supposed to use these God-given abilities. But ultimately, we are mortal creatures and we're not God. We live in a, a fallen world of sin and death. So the things that are spiritual are extremely important because our, our ultimate destiny, destiny is not here. It's in heaven if we live in accordance with what God asks of us. so. Words of encouragement, well, Jesus said, unless you take up your cross uh, every day and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And certainly, this pandemic is a huge communal cross uh, that's not just for one person or a few people, but for all of us to bear. And so we have to, as always, we have to confront it with the great theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, all three.
0: I've noticed, Archbishop, that the Office of Education, Evangelization, and Catechesis of the Archdiocese is in the process of, or has, restructured, although the restructuring is currently subject to further revisions. But can you talk a little bit about the purpose of the this office and, and perhaps some of the particulars of the restructuring?
1: Well, certainly, the Office for uh, Evangel- Evangelization and uh, Education Catechesis uh it's it's clear that th- this is our a part of our mission uh as a church uh, it's at the very heart of our, our mission to uh, proclaim the faith to to bring people of the knowledge of the faith and not only knowledge in this intellectual sense but in the in the sense of practice there are a lot of very good things that are going on uh, in the church to spur us on to this uh but uh, that takes coordination and leadership and that's what the archdiocese tries to provide for parishes and our schools whether it's uh, catechesis, you know, catechism, uh, young adult ministry, lifelong faith formation, training people in parishes and giving them the tools to be able to do this, resources for catechists and teachers and, and those who are leaders. So that's all coordinated through, through, this, uh, through this office. You know, we try to be very responsible stewards of the m- monies that are entrusted to us by the Catholic people. And so, you know, in the face of the pandemic and the financial constraints that people in general are facing, we too have to be very responsible. We cannot spend money we don't have. And we have to be careful about what the impact of this will be on the church's ability to provide a lot of services. I'm just so grateful that Archbishop's Annual Appeal has been so successful in 2020, notwithstanding the pandemic. We're very close to the funds that we collected last year uh, but that's not the only uh, thing we have to take into account. We also have to consider the income of the parishes, and I might add too that the um, Catholic Biblical School in the Archdiocese also comes under this office, this uh, general office, uh, and uh, that's all has provided a wonderful um, program and a wonderful uh, opportunity for our people to, to grow in, in love of Scripture. Well, one thing I want to say too is that, you know, some of our, I've asked. Uh, Monsignor Donnelly, who has had tremendous uh, success in his parish with uh, Bible study for men to do something to encourage our pastors to uh, have this happen in more parishes. Mm -hmm. You know, this is no, uh, I know today we're very sensitive to uh, the role of women in the church and their importance, but I can tell you as a pastor myself over many years that many times uh, women are more drawn to the existing programs than men. And we need to provide for both. An attempt to provide this for men's spirituality through a biblical study, I saw it firsthand how successful it was when I was a pastor in Detroit. And Monsignor Donnelly has found the same. And I want to encourage all of our parishes to provide this during this this new year. So I'm kind of rambling here about all the different things we're trying to do. But I do think uh, we have to be out there. And, you know, one of the things, uh, too, we were talking the other day here in the Diocesan offices is about Our grave concern about young adults, you know, are we really, are parishes really offering them uh, something that uh, draws them and brings them in? And uh, I don't mean to be critical, I I criticize myself when I say this, but I don't think that in the parishes and in the diocese we're doing all that we, we need to do.
0: That's an area that you can look at and say it needs some continual support and help and encouragement. Especially it needs within a our lot,
1: parishes, a lot of support, and encouragement. You know, we've we brought the focus missionaries into Central Connecticut uh, University there in New Britain, doing a splendid job. There are other uh, movements of young people uh, that are are very successful, but when you look at the the big picture, uh, we really have to, to, you know, with all due respect to people my age and your age,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in the parishes that we are providing the traditional services for, uh, we have to look for new ways uh, to reach out to our younger uh, generation. Um, I think of our younger priests, you know, our younger priests, uh, although it's not a matter of age because I think priests of any age can be uh, fruitful, successful in doing this. But uh, we have to look at our younger priests and see, you know, if if we can't just have them be doing things, uh, the traditional things of a parish uh, to service uh, an older generation like ours we also have to find ways for them to engage our, our, our young adults. And it's a huge challenge, not only for our archdiocese, but in the Church in general. But see, you've got me started talking about the well, no, Office this, this for is, Evangelization. This, yeah.
0: but, but this is a very good topic because I think not only we who have been serving the Church for many years, but also parents are wondering what they can do, possibly do, to encourage their young people. How often have we heard, oh, my son, my daughter doesn't want to go to church and I don't know what to do. I I can't motivate them. They don't want to go to church with us. We go to church, but they don't want to go. How often had we heard that that young people don't want to be part of the church today?
1: Well, we live in a, a transformed culture and it continues to be transformed. And we could spend a whole program talking about the factors that make it so. But that is the work and the challenge of the kinds of efforts I've been describing, uh, through our diocesan offices, but also through the movements. You know, like Focus, I mentioned that mm-hmm. as, as one, that are being very successful on the scale, uh, you know, that they're involved in. But we need to do ever so much more, and that's what uh, what we hope to do. And that, of course, brings me to another big topic, and that's our archdiocesan synod. You know, all of this was discussed, uh, and I'm so grateful for the. Synod delegates uh, in 2019 who uh, came together for these days and had very, very encouraging discussions. They went home a very spirit-filled and enthusiastic. Many of them even addressed their fellow parishioners. And then COVID descended upon us and the conclusion of the Synod that had been scheduled for earlier in 2020 at Pentecost all had to be canceled, uh, postponed. I shouldn't say canceled, but postponed. Youth ministry. No, had,
0: was, youth ministry was one of the major concerns that the synod brought up, was it not?
1: Yes. And when we say youth, I think it's important to say we're not talking about just kids. We're talking about young adults. Right. Um, that that the importance there. But um, I want to assure our listeners that the synod is far from dead, and uh, because of COVID, now we're scheduled to have a closing mass on the newly established uh, liturgical memorial of Blessed Michael McGivney. That is August 13th for the whole archdiocese, a big mass. The mass is only a liturgical celebration of of a bigger effort that we need to make. I will promulgate or publish, if you will, a kind of a synod document that is the fruit of all those meetings we had with the synod delegates and also uh, my own concerns as the archbishop about a way forward. We just talked about one uh, big thing about the engagement of our, our young adults. I think liturgy uh, in the diocese needs to be really re energized and, and uh, polished. Uh, you know, we, we are in a and, I, and when I say that, I don't mean that there are not uh, very worthy, good, beautiful celebrations of the liturgy in the archdiocese. There are. But I think that sometimes our poor priests, with, with fewer and fewer of us, Masses are being multiplied. Now, I'm not saying that you should, that it's desirable for a priest to only have one Sunday mass. Far from it. But imagine when a priest has to have four or five over a weekend, plus funerals and weddings. It's very hard to uh, sustain a really, how should I say, energized. Prayerful, energized. Prayer, Yes, we're all human. Uh, I, and I think, you know, of the bishops uh, nationally, we've talked about uh, church music, you know, uh, they're just, and these things are all connected with evangelization and catechesis, you know. A liturgy is one thing that we heard at the Synod that needs to be encouraged uh, to make it truly a more beautiful celebration and an engaging one. You know, some people now are drawn to the extraordinary form of the liturgy, that is the celebration in Latin as it was before the Second Vatican Council. And I'm not opposed to that at all. We've we brought in uh, the Institute for Christ the Sovereign Priest, at St. Patrick uh, Church in uh, in Waterbury celebrating it that way. But we also need to look at the the uh, beauty and the engagement and the quality of our, our liturgies in general. And I mean, I'm going on and on here, but even in the pandemic, uh, you know, I hear reports of parishes that are under the leadership of their pastors are doing extremely well because they really knock themselves out to provide for their people. Parishes where <clears throat> they're uh, they have transponders at mass to uh, broadcast the sound into the parking lot for people who come in their cars or in the gym or a parish hall who engaged all kinds of people to do all kinds of things. And parishes like that are doing extremely well. I mean, this is not by any means the only or most important gauge of a, of a parish's life and engagement. But some of the parishes that are doing this, they're, they're taking in a bigger collection than they did before COVID. Uh, for charitable things and for the operation of the parish. Other parishes are struggling, and I hate to say it, but some are not really doing too much to reach out. And I really want to challenge, and not only challenge, but we need to help those parishes to, to uh, find a way to reach out. Uh, so the pandemic is not at all uh, a, a complete uh, washout for, for parishes. For some, it's very energizing and good i'm I'm so edified that at christmas uh people uh, we heard of parishes that they off they had the f- a full parking lot and then they sent out and the transponders so that the people could hear the mass in the church and then they got out of their cars in the rain to come up in line to receive Holy Communion you know this is very very encouraging to me that people miss receiving Jesus in the Holy Eucharist and they're willing to make some sacrifices, but we who are priests uh, in the archdiocese we have to really get out there and engage our people and, and do these kind of things. The Archdiocese is there to help parishes to do these things, uh, but it all depends on local support. So if you're a listener and your parish is one of those that's kind of been shy about uh, doing these things, uh, you know, speak up, uh, encourage your pastor, your parish leadership to do something uh, because it's approved, proven to be very successful when it, where it's been tried.
0: And not only speak up, but volunteer to do some of that work yourself.
1: Well, if you can. Not everybody's able to, and, we, you know, some people for health or circumstances, but... Well,
0: we don't you know, want to go we, back we, to where we were several years ago when we thought it was the responsibility of the priest, and only the priest, to to be the leader of the parish and to do all the work for the parish.
1: Well, no, I mean, it's a different a different situation today, and uh, we do need the engagement of all of our people to, to make things uh, work, you know? Yeah. I dare say, and I'm not accusing anyone in particular of this, but I accuse myself, but we do we do live you know they talk about an entitlement mentality that people feel that they're entitled to have what they want when they want and how they want it a lot of times but it it that's not the the spirit of of uh, the gospel or the spirit that we should have in the church uh we need to ask what we can do to help you know and and we have to appreciate that at a time of pandemic or diminished numbers of priests, or we can't have everything just the way we want uh, is in the past and, and the time we want it and how we want it. So I don't say this in discouraging way. I'm saying it in a very encouraging way that we need to be energized by the Holy Spirit to really get out there. The pandemic is, is an obstacle, but as I've tried to illustrate, much good is come can come out of this great challenge uh, for, for uh, the energizing of our parishes and for reaching out to people, to making people appreciate more the importance of the sacraments for them, of the importance of being able to go to confession or to receive Holy Communion or to be anointed when you're sick. These are all things that we shouldn't take for granted or spurn. Uh, These are the things Christ has given us. I mean, and you really the, got me on a roll here, well, Father. No, this I'm is, getting this all is,
0: pumped up. But this is good because it's very appropriate that you should get on such a roll, talking about the energy, because as we learned from today's gospel and the celebration of the baptism of the Lord, it's through that baptism that we are all called to take our roles in the church and to be active within the church because of the virtue of our baptism. So let's take a look at our gospel reading for today when we do celebrate the baptism of the Lord. And this gospel is taken from the first chapter of Mark's gospel. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair, and had a leather girdle around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. Thou art my beloved Son. With thee I am well pleased. So what are we to make of this gospel? What is its message for our day and age, Archbishop?
1: Well, this gospel provides a perfect segue into uh, from something that we were just, uh, well, I was doing most of the talking, not you, but <laughs> what, I, what I was trying to say. Uh, and that is that uh, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we get energized to do what we need to do. Uh, John the Baptist says, well, I'm baptizing you symbolically uh, about remission of sins, but it's when the Holy Spirit comes It's through the Messiah that things will really be fulfilled and and things will be changed. And it begins with the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan. And, uh, you know, Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but it was to fulfill all righteousness that he would be, he would subject himself humbly to this. It is the opening of the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit, not just upon Jesus, uh, who already possessed the Holy Spirit in fullness, uh, if that's the right way to put it, as one of the uh, Holy Trinity. But it, it is the outpouring that will come on the whole church. You know, I use that image all the time. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the wind in our sails. You can't see the wind. You can feel it, and you, can, and you see its power. But uh, that is the, what we, we need to implore the gift of the Holy Spirit.
0: Why, why is the baptism of the Lord considered the beginning of Jesus' public ministry?
1: Well, because it simply was in the gospel that's that's how he inaugurated his public ministry.
0: well, can you compare it to our baptism with with subsequent responsibility then
1: Yes, well, we become a child of adopted child of God, we become a member of the body of christ and uh, which is his church, and uh, we are uh, sent out then on a mission to uh, bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, all of those things are part of our uh, of what is given to us at baptism. And when we're baptized as little infants, of course, then that uh, we have that grace and gift, but it has to be, grow and develop uh, over time and commensurate with our own uh, age and abilities, uh, but always growing ever deeper. And, uh, and then in confirmation, it is literally confirmed and strengthened so that we can go out and be Christ's witnesses in the world.
0: The voice coming from the heavens saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Was that for the benefit of Jesus or for our benefit?
1: Well, I don't think it was for the benefit of of Jesus, uh, but for, for his mission and for those who were present
0: and for us. And for us today. Let's visit some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Marcia from Avon says, I have a family member who has a bit of a racist attitude. She is Roman Catholic like me, and each time she makes inappropriate statements, I try to come up with a response that relays the church's message of treating every person equally. Do you know of any Bible verses that I can refer to when she makes these comments?
1: Well, Marcia, uh, yes, very sadly, uh, you know, uh, not everyone in, who is baptized and professes the faith always lives up to it perfectly. Well, none of us lives up to it perfectly. And uh, I have to say that uh, racism and prejudice has to be one of the greatest contradictions to uh, our belief in Christ and our identity uh, as, uh, as Christians and as Catholics. Uh, because what did Jesus do? Jesus came to redeem the whole human race. Uh, the, whole, the, the particular call of Israel was exclusive uh, to them. And what did Jesus do? In everything he said and did, often to the scandal of his hearers, uh, Jesus made it clear that he had come to fulfill uh, the, the calling of the chosen people, the Jews, for the sake of everyone, of all races and nations. Unity with God and of the whole human race is what the Second Vatican Council proclaims. And not just the Council, it's in keeping with everything the Church believes and teaches as the purpose of the Church in the world to proclaim uh, our unity with God and of the whole human race. Now, people of different cultures and languages, yes, when there, there can be clashes, people do things differently. They view the world differently. They may act differently. And the United States winds up being a place, although it's happening in a lot of parts of the world today, where there is a mixing of, of cultures and languages and such, and people, and races, and races. And sadly, racism is one of the worst forms of division in the world. You know, this is simply not at all in keeping with uh, Christianity, with the Bible, with our Catholic faith. That is not to say that we pretend that there are not cultural and uh, differences among people. And I'm not just talking about black and white, but all. But that doesn't mean that we don't find ways to have mutual respect for the differences and live together in peace and charity. Then the whole New Testament is just filled with uh, quotes, Marcia, uh, about um, unity and charity. You, you know the thing the the parables in the in the Gospel, the Samaritan woman, where Jesus talked to her and, and offered her the gift of salvation. And the apostles were appalled that he would talk to a Samaritan uh, and a woman no less, because in that culture, uh, you know, that wasn't done. But, the, but Jesus constantly did this, uh, performing miracles for people who were not Jewish. I would recommend, Marcia, that you look online for the Bishop's most recent uh, pastoral letter on racism, uh, which we issued in 2018. You can find it on the United States Catholic, Conference of Catholic Bishops website, and I, I think it's on our Archdiocesan website as well. Uh, and, and pray and, and find some way maybe Uh, to help your family member to have a different attitude.
0: And the website of the uh, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops is usccb.org. Again, that's usccb.org. Kevin? You know, if I have this concluding thought, you know, it it strikes me as so
1: unbelievable that there— now, this is not so much racial as, I guess, ethnic, but that through history there's been so much anti-Semitism among Christians— And when you think that, when you meet Jesus Christ and Mary and the 12 apostles, they're all Jewish. I mean, they're all absolute children of Abraham. They're as Jewish as can be. So, you know, somebody who's anti-Semitic, who claims to be a Christian, are they gonna be in for a big surprise when they meet their maker? I I mean, well, enough said.
0: Let's look at Kevin's question, and Kevin is from Thomaston. He says, in Pope Francis's end-of-the-year homily, he explained why the Catholic Church gives thanks to God at the close of a calendar year, even years that are marked by tragedies such as this year's coronavirus pandemic. As a member of a family who has lost someone to COVID-19, I find it hard to give thanks for anything this year. How can people like me who have dealt with a great tragedy this year remain thankful to God instead of angry?
1: Well, Kevin, death is a reality of life that should make us all angry in this sense that we were not created uh, to die. We are immortal beings. And so death uh, for us us is a a great wound. It's a great mystery. It's a great, uh, well, it's a curse, really, that comes from, from sin. It's only understandable that we rebel against death, as we should. We also know that the necessity of dying has been redeemed by Christ our Savior, that we, we are freed from sin and therefore we are freed from death. So the reality is that we all die, whether it's after a ripe old age or very young. Uh, look at uh, all the many children who have died tragically through abortion. Millions and millions of lives mm-hmm. been taken away. We all know of, of horrific accidents and tragedies. But the point is that uh, we would all like the grace of a happy death. We would prefer, especially for our loved ones, that they have a full life. But the, the, the way that we, we meet this is with faith. So COVID, as tragic as it is, and without minimizing for a moment your loss, you COVID is just one of the all, the all the many ways that people die every day and that we all will die. What is to be gained by being angry at the loss of a loved one? Hurt, uh, yes. Uh, feeling very badly and sorrowful? Yes. But anger doesn't accomplish anything whatsoever. So I think what you, if I may respectfully suggest, is that you you, you renew your faith in God and, and God's providence and you, you, you ask for the grace to be, uh, to, find, uh, to be healed of this anger. And above all, you pray for the repose of the soul of uh, your lo- a loved one and uh, that they may have eternal rest if you want to understand why there's evil in the world and why there's death, well, that's our whole, uh, the whole biblical message, you know. Uh,
0: And don't you think that this COVID pandemic is a sober reminder to all of us that we all must die? And for many of us, we do not know the time or the hour. So be prepared, live life to its fullest each day, appreciating the people that you have in your life the love that you have, the challenges that you have to reach out to other people with the kind of charity that has been given to us uh, and the example that's been given to us by Jesus himself. So this is, this is a call to live life to its fullest. Don't you feel that way?
1: Well, fullest in the sense, yes, of, uh, with the eyes of faith. And, uh, and, yeah. and again, I go back to the great theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. Those are the three things that have to inform our lives.
0: Let's take one last question, Archbishop. From Nicole from Hartford, Nicole says, I heard that the practice of baptism started with adults only. When did, the, did babies begin receiving the sacrament?
1: Well, of course, Nicole, it started with adults only in the sense that when the gospel was first preached, it was to adults to be uh, converted uh, to Christ, uh, to embrace the faith. But very early on, uh, there, in, already in the New Testament, there are uh, mention of whole households being baptized. So it goes back uh, very, very early.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please?
1: Lord, as we enter this new year of grace, 2021, we ask you to help us to renew within ourselves our profession of faith in your goodness and providence for our lives and the lives of everyone. We ask you in a world that is suffering from so much division, from racism, from political and social unrest and division, and from the scourge of the pandemic, that we will keep our eyes, as the scripture says, fixed on Jesus. Fixed on Jesus, who bore the cross, and in that way conquered sin and death. And we pray that we may be instruments of peace and of faith, and that we may be consolers of those who are suffering, and that we may count on your blessings, the blessings of your providence, in all that befalls us, for good or ill and we make our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We enjoy the time that you share with us and look forward to being with you again next Sunday. Until then, enjoy this week. Thank you, you too.